<laughs> there we go. Got it. Oops, it worked. <laughs> yes, I am. All right. So it's that time. So we will uh, go ahead and get started. This is uh, we are continuing in the middle of our uh, gospel. So for those who are joining us, you're joining us kind of smack down in the middle of it. Daryl uh, will be taking care of uh, the lessons for today in the Bible class in just a moment. things to keep in uh, mind, uh, just, just a couple of really quick announcements, especially those to pray for. Um, uh, Mom and Dad still not doing too well, so uh, keep them in mind. Courtney's out of town, uh, and she'll be traveling back tonight, so keep her in mind um, as well. And just those we know who have ongoing health uh, issues and sicknesses and, and ailments, uh, continue to remember to think about them. Um, so we do have, for those who are visiting with us, we have uh, the Bible class now. We will have worship hour and we uh, join back here at 2 o'clock. So if you guys are free and available and uh, willing, we will be meeting again later in the day after lunch at 2 o'clock. Um, without further ado, we'll uh, get out of the way and uh, take over the class. But before that, uh, I'll open this up with a word of prayer. So if you guys would uh, please uh, pray with me. Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, uh, we are truthfully blessed beyond measure, Father God, for out of your kindness and out of your goodness, Father, out of just your power and your might and your glory, Father God, that you desire, you desire and you do, Father, just consider us. You think of us, Father, you think of what is best for us, and you always act, you always do what is best for us, Father, which uh, motivates our faith, Father, which causes growth to happen within our minds and within our hearts, Father God, within our relationships. And it's through your word and through your son, Father, that we're able to be built up, we're able to be established. And through your word and through your son, Father, we're able to discover more of you, Father, to learn more about your character, Father, the help and the comfort that you give and that you deliver to us, Father God, that, the, that you desire for us to be just like you, Father, uh, to be as holy as you are holy, Father, to be as righteous as you are righteous, Father God, and you spend so much time, so much effort, so much loss and difficulty and heartache on your part, Father, to be able to establish us, to help us, to grow, Father, and to be given such exceedingly great and awesome reward, Father, blessings and every single spiritual blessing in the heavens and places within Christ Jesus, Father. We're blessed beyond measure, Father. Amen. Um, so help us to appreciate such things, Father. Help us not to just to see them, to read about how much you care you consider for us, Father, not to just to read or to acknowledge, Father, that you have done so much for us, Father, but to live in that truth, to live in that reality, Father, to be motivated, to be convicted, Father, for 
Father God, that's what this day is here, Father. That's why we've chosen to come together for multiple reasons, Father. Uh, this day and this morning, Father, but one of them is being edification of one another, Father, to encourage one another, to build up one another, Father God, to cause growth within every single member. So help us to have that as our goal, have that as our aim, have that as our ambition. We're thankful for uh, JR being able to be with us traveling and, and with his work and his faith, Father, and his desire to, to help contribute to the growth and the goals and the motivation of this group, Father, so that you can be glorified in this area, Father, that the saints here to be established within Christ and to uh, his measure, Father, of being the perfect man, and other souls are able to be gathered to you, Father God, as the brethren here work and labor in this area, Father, together with one another, and ultimately as you, as the ultimate co-worker. So help us to appreciate such things, help us to have a mind and a heart to listen uh, to the lesson this morning, the scriptures, the points, the ideas, Father God, do not just have them go in one ear and out the other, Father, but to contemplate them, to meditate upon them, to let the, the point and the purpose of such lessons, Father, change us, to convict us, to cause growth in each and every single one of us, Father, and that we take that individual responsibility of growing ourselves, Father, so that we can be work, working and, and useful for the labor of the whole body. Help us just have a productive time this morning, Father God, and help us discover more about you and about your character, about your Son and about your Holy Spirit. So it's your Son's name we pray, Jesus Christ. I would stand down there, but I was told to stand up here, so I'm always doing what I'm told to do. In our series of studies that we've put together for this weekend, we have focused upon various aspects of the family. We uh, focused upon our, our need to be courageous and, and, and our family, uh, conquering the spirit of, uh, of fear. Uh, we've also talked about what happens when one of our young people rebel uh, and what they need to do in order to come back to the Lord. We discussed the idea of a journey uh, of a rebel. What we're doing this morning in, in our study, in, in, in the Bible study period, I'm going to address some things that I believe are very, very practical so far as a family is concerned, as far as a husband and wife are concerned. Now, it's not going to make any difference if you are not married, if you're contemplating marriage, it's going to be very relevant to you. If you are fairly new in a marriage, it's going to be relevant to you. If you've been married, like my wife and I, for more than half a century, it's going to be relevant for you because there are things that uh, we're going to bring out from God's Word that are going to be very, very applicable. So if you have a Bible handy, we're going to begin our study by noting something out of the 19th chapter of the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 19, we find in verse 3 that the Pharisees also came to him, that is Jesus, and they're testing him and ask him, they ask him this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now that is a very relevant question, not only during the time that Jesus lived, but it's also very relevant in all time periods and wherever we may happen to live and in whatever age we happen to live. It's a relevant question. And it would be extremely relevant in our society because we realize that the idea of a permanent marriage on the part of many people is archaic. Uh, we look at our culture and our society and we have to recognize that the matrimonial bond that was once the, the foundation of our culture and our society is no longer viewed as holy. It is no longer viewed as relevant. 
And many people do not even understand what a traditional family is, with mom and dad and the children all living within the same family unit. Uh, as a matter of fact, in today's very uh, fractured society, uh, the you know the idea of being pro-family uh, has been painted as being somewhat uh, negative. That it means that if you're pro-family, that you're anti-single parent. And that's not so. If it means if you're pro-family, then that means that you are against this or against that or you're uh, whatever you may want to be labeled as. It's not so. To be pro-family is just simply to respect what the Bible says about the family unit. Uh, and today, with the soaring divorce rate as it is. When Jesus was asked the question, is this lawful, then we need to address this from the standpoint that the Lord addressed it. Now, what we need to recognize is that the Bible, which has been revealed to us by God's Holy Spirit, is our standard of authority. It is our standard of ethics. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 that God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This includes any information pertaining to a family unit. And the Bible is pretty direct in what it has to say about the family and what it has to say about various members of the family. And so what I'm going to do in our study this morning is I'm going to be as direct as the Bible is. And I'm going to say some things that are very needed, I believe, insofar as our culture is concerned. But let's continue reading. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Here's how the Lord answered that question. He answered in verse 4 and said to them, Have you not read? that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Now, I want you to notice what the Lord appeals to. He appeals to the Scripture. He appeals to what God has revealed. Have you not read? You know, he's, he's pointing his questioners to the Bible, as it were, that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, Jesus, in answer to the question, when he was asked, is it lawful to do this? Is it lawful to divorce a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? The answer that Jesus gives is a resounding no. As a matter of fact, he answered the question no three times in those verses that we looked at. It is not lawful. And the reason that he said is because what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so this is, this, this is very frank. This is very specific. Jesus said, upon marriage, you've got to view this as a permanent relationship. What God joins together, man is not to separate. Now, we can read on down, and we will be reading some other verses here in this moment. We can read all the way down to verse 9. Jesus says there is to be no divorce with one exception. And that exception is revealed to us this way. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, or as the old King James Version says, fornication, which is a, an umbrella term, 
That would include premarital relationships, extramarital relationships, i.e. adultery, or even, according to the book of Jude, a homosexual relationship would fall under the realm of sexual immorality or pornea, fornication. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So what we often find ourselves doing is when our marriage is on the rocks, or when our marriage is about to be dissolved, then what we often do is we, 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 we focus upon verse 9. Well, do I have a right to divorce? Do I have a right to remarry? And all of these other aspects about understanding that verse. Well, now, that's a good study in and of itself. But that's not where I'm going with this study. I'm not going to talk about what to do after the marriage goes south. I want to talk to you about what to do to keep the marriage from going south. I want to talk to you about some things that we need to bring into our marriage in order to keep our marriage from being torn apart, in order to keep our marriage from being dissolved, in order to keep us from separating what God has joined together. And I'm going to discuss this from the standpoint of three things. I'm going to point out from the Scriptures there are three things that we need to do. And if we'll do these things, if we'll bring these into our marriage, then chances are great that we never will ever get to verse 9. We'll never separate what God has joined together. Now these three things that I want to talk about, I'm going to put them on the chart. And and, and, and I hope that I'm going to be saying some things that you're going to find... Uh, you know, you, you might need or you might want to take notes on, you might want to uh, incorporate into your relationship. But if you want to keep your marriage where God intends for your marriage to be kept, let's start here. Reverence your marriage or respect your marriage as a covenant. Now, this is extremely important as far as a beginning point in our study. Marriage, my friends, is not a merely a human institution. Now, now a lot of people are going to tell you that, you know, who believe in evolution, that marriage is just simply a, a, a social evolution. And they're going to say, well, you know, it's, it, we're not going to be able to determine when, you know, this idea of one man and one woman in a monogamous relationship evolved. You know, we, they say we don't know. You know, they, so they, they really just kind of look at marriage as a, as a social evolution somewhere along the way. But now that's not so. God instituted marriage. Now look at our text again. When Jesus was asked the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, what did Jesus appeal to? Did, he, did Jesus appeal to the prevailing culture of his day? No. Did Jesus appeal to the prevailing culture of Judaism? No. Did Jesus appeal to the Grecian culture or the Roman culture? Did He appeal to the Babylonian culture? Did He appeal to the Assyrian culture? No. Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning. Jesus appeals to Genesis chapter 2. He goes all the way back to the beginning. When God created man and woman in the Garden of Eden, God instituted this thing we call marriage or the family. It goes all the way back to the beginning. It is a creation of God. It is not a result of social evolution. 
It is not a result of people just deciding that, you know, this is a good thing and maybe it's outlived its usefulness and so we'll go to something else. No, Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning. It was instituted by God. Jesus is quoting from Genesis 2. And when he says, have you not read? It was instituted by God for all times. And guess what? In Malachi 2 and verse 14, God calls this relationship a covenant. Malachi 2 and verse 14, she is your wife by covenant. Do you know what a covenant is? Anybody want to answer that? What is a covenant? Yes. You know, there's nothing very romantic about looking at marriage in this kind of way, but it is an agreement, it is a contract that we make. A covenant is just that. It is an agreement or a contract that is made between two consenting people. Two consenting adults make an agreement or a contract or a covenant. They agree to come together as a husband and wife. And what they do is they ask God to join them together in this contract. That's what you What God has joined together, you see, that's what it is. It's a contract, it's an agreement between two consenting people and ask God to solidify this contract. Now, what, you know, when a couple is about to be joined together as husband and wife, what do they do as far as making promises? They, we're, we're, we call that what? Vows. They exchange vows. Now, let me show you how this is done. Uh, you know, let's just, let's, let's pretend for the sake of our study this morning that we are all gathered here to witness a marriage. And so the minister will stand before, or the officiant will stand before the two people, the man and the woman. And the officiant will say something to the effect, we're gathered here today in the presence of God and these witnesses to join together or to witness the joining together of this man and this woman in holy matrimony. Something to that effect. And then after some preliminary remarks, the officiant will say, will you join hands? And then he'll say to the man something to the effect, do you promise to take this woman whose hand you now hold to forsake all others and be true to her, to take her as your lawful wedded wife until death you do part? Do you promise? And he, you know what he said? He's saying, yes, I do. Or maybe he's even repeating those words. You promise to be true to her and to her only for as long as you both shall live. Yes, I do. You know what he's done? He's made a vow not only to her, but he's made a vow to Almighty God. This is what I promise to do. And when the officiant says to the woman, Similar words, do you promise to take this man whose hand you now hold as your lawful wedded husband, forsaking all others, and be true to him for as long as you both shall live? And the other things that she promises, 
you know, to, to love and to honor and to obey. And the prom- things that he promises to love, to honor, to cherish. And when she says, I do, or she repeats those words, she's not just saying empty words. She's making a promise and a vow to Almighty God. That God, if you join us together, this is what I promise. It's a vow to God. And in doing that, they have formed a covenant, an agreement. Now, what I often do is I often refer these two to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. There, you know what it says there? It, It says, if you make a vow to God, Do not delay to pay it. For God has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. He goes on to say, It is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. That is, it's better not to make a vow than to make one and then break your word. So you view this as a covenant, an agreement. You you cannot break your word without breaking a relationship with God and committing sin. You have to keep your word. And I'm going to tell you what that does. That goes a long way in helping you resolve any difficulties that you might have in that relationship. Because you will never, ever throw the D word on the table as an option. Well, you know, dear, we can always divorce. Oh, wait a minute. Let's go back. You made a promise to God. Are you going to keep that promise? Now, if you're going to keep that promise, you solve these problems, you resolve any difficulties, and you stay together. So you see what happens when you view it as a covenant and you reverence it or respect it as a covenant? You will not so easily walk away from that commitment. I tell people it's it's, it's, it's sort of like it's sort of like viewing one another as the only other person on the face of the earth. You don't have anybody else. I had a fellow call me one time, and, and he told me he said, uh, "You know, Jr., uh, we don't know we don't know where my brother-in-law is. Said said said, said he's left his wife." And we don't have any idea of where he is. We've been in contact with him, but we don't know where he is. I said, I know exactly where he is. I said, not the location, but I know where he is. He said, where is he? I said, he is in the arms of another woman. Oh, no. No, no. He, he, he promised his wife that, that, that there's not another woman involved. And he, I talked to him, and he's promised me there's not another woman involved. I, must, I said to him, I said, I'll tell you one thing. If he's willing to break his promise to God, he's not above lying to you. He is in the arms of another woman. He said, no, no. Three days later, he calls me back and he said, how did you know? I said, because a man is not going to get out of one bed and sleep by himself. He's not going to walk away from this relationship without having another relationship. All of this foolishness is, I just need to work it out in my mind. I need to find myself. That's that's all a bunch of lies. That's all it is. Because if you view yourself and your relationship 
as the only two people on the face of this earth, as far as you have a right to, then hey, there's nobody else for you. You're living on a deserted island. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this couple, this husband and wife, living on this deserted island? Nobody else. Nobody else on that island. And here they're living over here in this little lean-to they put together. And just, just picture this. Here's the old boy, you know. He, he, he's wanting to catch him some fish. He don't have any fishing pole or anything like that. So he cuts him a cane pole. He whittles that thing down. He's standing out there in the water about knee-deep. And these fish come by. He's, he, he's trying to get him a fish like that. Nothing. Man, he spends all morning out there. And he, nothing. He can't catch a fish. And he goes back to the lean-to. And he tells his wife. He says, you know, I'm a, I, I, I'm a little bit hungry. So we're going to have any lunch? And she says, yeah, we have lunch. She said, what are we going to have? She said, pineapple. He loses it. He says his wife, he tells his wife, the pineapples, he says, I can't stand pineapples. We had pineapples for breakfast. As a matter of fact, we've had pineapples for the last three days, and I'm sick and tired of pineapples. And she's not going to let them outdo her. He, she says to him, well, I'll tell you what, Jack, if you were a better fisherman, we'd be eating fish. And so they get to, you know, you know how that goes, you know, squalling at each other and carrying on. Can you picture, can you picture this old boy saying to his wife, okay, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm leaving you, and I'm going to move to the other side of the island. Can you picture that? Go like this. You cannot picture that. But he's not going to do it. And I'll tell you why he's not going to do it. I used to say there was just one reason, but really there are two reasons. The main reason he's not going to do it because there's no Body else over there to share his lean to. But the second reason is he's going to have to make his own pineapple. <laughs> and he's not going to do that. So you see, this is what I'm saying. You respect it as a covenant. You respect this covenant that you've made. And, 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 and you know what? You're not going to walk away from that covenant. Now I realize... I realize when infidelity is involved, I know what God allows. We're not talking about it. I'm talking about keeping the covenant intact. So you respect your relationship as a covenant. And then the second thing that you need to do is nurture the companionship that you have formed. Companion. That is a word that, like the word gay, has been hijacked and it's lost its scriptural and spiritual meaning. You know, we, we, we hear about someone's pet as being a companion. Now, I know how much people love their pets and I'm not, not criticizing that. But I'm going to tell you something. Regardless of your love for your pet, you cannot adopt your pet into your family and that pet does not become a companion not in the biblical sense sometimes we look at people in a same sex relationship who are unmarried well she or he is a companion no not in a scriptural sense we look at sometimes people in a homosexual relationship or a same sex relationship and we'll refer to that or hear that person referred to as one's companion. No. Not in a scriptural sense. Malachi 2 and verse 14. 
tells us that a man's wife is his companion. And a woman's husband is her companion. I'm going to ask you a question. And I want somebody to be bold. And, and by the way, let me tell you something. I, I wear hearing aids, but they are so overrated. I mean, you know, sometimes I just, I, 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 I don't hear a response. So, if you're going to be bold and answer this question, speak out good and loud so me and the Lord both can hear. When God created this world, and I believe He created the world in six literal 24-hour days, and you know, after each day that God created, He looked at His creation and He said, It is good. Did He not? Yes, He did. Can you think, you know, day one, it is good. Creational day, it is good. Three, four, five, it is good, it's good. Can you tell me the thing that God created, he looked at and he said, well, it's not good. Very good. No, no, no. No, he said things are very good, but there's something God said, it is not good. Exactly right. You know, Genesis 2 and verse 18, God said, it is not good. For a man to be alone. And so what did God do? God created a helper comparable to the man. He, he, did, not, he did not create another man. He created a woman to be a companion to the man. And the man to be a companion to the woman. He did not create a woman to do everything that a man could do. He created a woman to do what a man could not do. And he brought her to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my shoe shall be called a woman, because she was taken out of her. A woman becomes her husband's companion, and a man becomes his wife's companion. So what we need to do is nurture that companionship. You know what? We need to, we need to solidify that companionship. We need to grow that companionship throughout the years. Now, Jesus, in our text, Matthew, Matthew 19, in verses 4, 5, and 6, Jesus talks about this relationship. He doesn't use the word companionship, but Jesus uses another phrase to describe the closeness and the intimacy of this companionship. What is it? He said, they, These two become what? One flesh. These two become one flesh. They're no longer two, but now they're one flesh. Now, that, that's intimacy. That's closeness. That, you know what, you cannot get any more intimate than that. Now, I know very often when we think about one flesh, we focus only upon the marriage bed becoming one flesh insofar as that biological counterpart coming together. No. That, that's part of it, but that's not all there is to it. As a matter of fact, the marriage bed is a very vital part of the marriage relationship. And I tell people, you know, if you, if you, do, if you do something that in a marriage bed that you're not permitted to do, you're, you're bringing reproach upon the promises that you made to God. For example, if you use the marriage bed as a bargaining chip, well, yeah, we will if you... Or if you use it to punish. Well, no, I didn't like the way you did it. That, that's wrong. 
That's wrong. I, I tell people, you know, a man's body no longer belongs to him, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. His body belongs to his wife, and her body belongs to her husband. And so that's intimacy. That's, that's closeness. But it also goes beyond that. This companionship goes beyond just the marriage bed. You know, we have we, we become one in in aim. We become one in desire. We become one in goals. We have the same aspiration. We have the same goals. We have the same likes. And, and you know what? We I tell people it's as simple as this. A husband and wife, if they're going to truly be companions, they're going to be best of friends. They're going to be husband and wife. They're going to be lovers. They're going to be companions. They're going to be one flesh. And they're going to be the best of friends. Now I'll tell you what. My grandmother was widowed. I mentioned the death of my grandfather the other night in a, in a sermon. My grandmother, when granddad died, was 53 years old. she became become a widow at 53. He was 56, died of an aneurysm. When we got word of granddad's death, we drove down, as I said the other night, to the country from Louisville. And to walk in the room, grandmother was in there. My grandmother was a short-statured woman. And I was nearly 12 years old, the height that she was. But I, I walk into the room where Grandmother is, and she gets up out of the chair when she sees us walk in. She run, walks over to me, and I run over to her. And we embrace, and she says this to me. She said, Honey, I want you to know that I've lost my best friend. I had no earthly idea the depth of Grandmother's state until I married my wife. And then I know what it means to have as your best friend your spouse, your husband or your wife. I understand. I understand that. And, and that's the way it is. I've talked to so many who have lost a spouse. And they'll tell me the same thing that my grandmother did. I lost my best friend. And so that being said, why do we sometimes then want to live our lives having our lives revolve around our children. I don't understand that. I love my children. I love my grandchildren as deeply as I love anybody on this earth. But I'm telling you, my life does not revolve around my children. Because you know what? They got married. And they did what God intends for people to do. They formed their own companionship over here. And that's the way God intended my life is to revolve around my relationship with my wife insofar as relationships are concerned. And so when our children left home, I didn't look across the table at my wife and say, well, when did you show up? <laughs> I didn't do that. You know why? Because we focused on each other all the years that we were married, or are married. And that's what, parent, that's what couples need to do. But when you, when you make your life revolving around your children or make your life revolve around your job 
or make your life revolve around other relationships, then that you know what's happening to that companionship? It's being chipped away. And that's why you hear so many older couples deciding that they're going to get a divorce because the nest is empty and they've grown apart. Don't, don't do that. Don't grow apart. Nurture that companionship. Make it grow. Make it relevant. Make it good. I, I tell people, I cannot imagine going on vacation without my best friend. I can't imagine buying a piece of property without putting the name of my best friend on the deed. I can't imagine buying an automobile without putting my best friend's name on the title. You nurture that companionship. You make it relevant. You make it good. You make it deep. You make it emotional. And you make it what God intends for it to be. One in thought. You know, i got to tell you, one of, the, one of the blessings that my wife and I have now, even that, uh, uh, you know, nest is empty. We, we, we talk about the goal of heaven and the possibility of being able to spend eternity together, knowing the relationship has changed, but my, won't that be a blessing to be able to be together throughout eternity. And that's why I have no problem in referring to her as my wife. And she has no problem in referring to me as my husband. I know those are possessive terms, but that's what you have when you nurture the companionship. And finally, if you want to keep your marriage together, you need to keep the lines of communication open. You need to learn how to talk. And I tell couples, sometimes I say, you know, when I'm sort of counseling a couple before before marriage, I'll I, I say to them, I, I said, well, you, you, you all need to learn how to fight. They said, well, we know how to fight. No, we're, yeah, we can, we can argue real good. No, I said, no, 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 no. You need to learn how to scripture disagree. And you need to learn how to communicate with each other. Because most of the times when we're communicating with each other, we're involved in a monologue. You know what a monologue is? Just like I'm doing up here, I'm doing all the talking. Communication is when you share the discussion. It is a dialogue. I will talk and I will listen. She will talk and she will listen. I, I, sometimes when I'm uh, talking to a couple and they're having problems, I say, well, now let's, let's, let's open our Bible to the book of Ephesians. And there's some things that I want to point out to you from the book of Ephesians. And that's all I say. And then I'm looking across the table and I'm seeing where they're opening their Bible up. Yep, there, there, the book of Ephesians. Now look a little closer. Uh-huh, chapter 5. Uh-huh, you know, husbands are told to love their wives and wives are told to be in submission to their husband. Uh-huh, they're over here in chapter 5. I say, you're chapter too far. I beg your pardon? I say, you're, you're chapter too far. Let's back up to chapter 4 because here's where your problem lies in chapter 4. And the reason why you're not getting along as far as chapter 5 says is because you don't know how to talk to each other in chapter 4. Because chapter 4 deals with communication and communi communication skills. Now, I know he's not talking primarily about the marriage relationship in chapter 4, but he is talking about being a Christian. Listen to what he says. Verse 22 of Ephesians 4. Put off concerning your former conduct the old man, 
which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man or the new person which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I tell people, what you need to do is bring your Christianity into your marriage relationship. And look, look, look at how practical this is. In verse 25, now we're talking about being able to communicate. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Now, if that works in a church, and that works in a neighborhood, and that works with an employer, an employee, why do we think it would not work in a family? Why not? Why, you know, couples need to learn how to speak the truth to each other. Now, I'm going to show you something that's not the truth. This is not the truth. When, 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 when a man comes in and and, and, and his wife is not... Wait, I could turn this around. It could be a woman comes in, her husband's not speaking to her, but since I'm teaching, I'm going to use it the other way. So, a man comes in, his wife's not speaking to him. And he said, well, good afternoon, honey. I'm home. Nothing. And she walks away and walks into the kitchen. He follows her in the kitchen. And he says, huh? is, is, is something wrong? Nothing. And he said, what, did, did I do something to offend you? Have I hurt your feelings or something? And she'll turn around and say, well, now, if you don't know, I'm not telling you. That's not communication. And that causes problems. Speak the truth with one another. Ladies, if he's done something to offend you, if you feel that you've been taken for granted, tell him. This is what you said and it hurt my feelings. This is what you did and I feel that you're just taking advantage of me. Speak the truth. I'm not talking about spewing out venom. No, that, that would be wrong. But tell what the problem is. Learn how to communicate. Speak the truth with each other. You're not just members of one another. You're one flesh. And look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Now there's a problem. Deal with it, but don't don't let this thing escalate to where there's sin, and don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Get it soft. You know what I'm talking about here. You got a couple that's about 10:30 at night. Both of them is a little bit tired, had a bad day, you know, and so something is said, and, and there you go. They just fly it off the handle. They just arguing back and forth with one another, and they get so upset and angry, and now they go to bed, and they got to sleep together. So they go in the bedroom, you know, and they get ready for bed and they don't say a word to each other and they lay down on the bed and she's lying on this side just as stiff as a board and he's lying on that side just as stiff as a board. Not going to reach over and touch. Not going to say you goodnight. Not going to have a good night kiss. What they're going to do is let the sun go down on their wrath. And in doing that, you will, according to verse 27, give place to the devil. You will develop resentment and bitterness and it will chip away at that relationship. Learn how to communicate. Speak the truth with one another. Get these things resolved. You can do it. You've already respected it as a covenant. You're not going to put the divorce word down there on the table. That's off the table. And, 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 and then he says in verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. 
You don't get upset with your wife or your husband and say something ugly. And I'm not talking about profanity. That's 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 a given. We don't, Christians don't use those kinds of words according to Colossians 3. Obscenities are put out of our, our vocabulary. When he's talking about uh, corrupt words here in verse 29, he's talking about words that are like, you know, I can't imagine me being stupid enough to marry you. I, I just can't imagine me going through life with you the way that you are. You know what? You've let yourself go. You're not anything like you were when I married you. You know what you're doing? You're using corrupt words. Words that scar. And words that leave a permanent problem there. Don't do it. Don't say something to the effect, well, I should have listened to my mother. She warned me about you. I know you cause a problem with the in-laws. And you cause problems that are going to be hard I guess my time is about gone. I don't know how much time you give me. I could go on and on. I love talking about the family, but I'll just save the rest of my remarks for the 10.30 period of worship. I want to keep your marriage together. Here are three things that are absolutely critical. Respect it as a covenant. Nurture the companionship. And keep the lines of communication open. Thank you very much.